far back in my memory, but I remember um, in grammar school, we had a librarian come into class that would sit and read stories to us. Well, my, my grandmother was always a huge uh, true crime fan, and Sherlock Holmes was one of the stories that she was very into. Well, I, like a lot of people who are lifelong fans of the character, um, first discovered him, I guess I should say. It is a more appropriate pronoun. Um, it can be hard to tell with Sherlock Holmes whether you're talking about a real person or not, which is one of the intriguing things. I also was imprinted by Basil Rathbone and Nigel Bruce because, of course, I went to see those movies every Saturday morning and uh, listen to the radio programs. Basil okay. of Baker Street. Basil of Baker Street. And, and Vincent Price is this beautiful villain, Radigan, where you have this whole, like, they're not coming right out and saying it's Professor Moriarty, but you know. Ever since my dad got me my first collection of Sherlock Holmes stories, I've been utterly hooked on the character. From Holmes investigating the meaning of five orange pips, to discovering the secret of a crooked man, to his deadly battle with the evil Professor Moriarty, the Sherlock Holmes stories are just plain fun adventure tales and incredibly enjoyable reads. Ultimately, that's why Holmes's popularity has not only endured, but grown over the past 132 years. With that longevity in mind, I began to wonder whether the Sherlock Holmes character has had any other impact on our culture outside of its effect on literature. With the spirit of Sherlock Holmes in mind, I would like to present to you my conclusion, my following links in the chain, if you will. I'm Peter Creighton, and welcome to How Sherlock Holmes Created Modern Fandom. Welcome to The Looking Glass, a series that examines stories in all their varieties. I'm Peter Creighton. Before we arrive at how Sir Arthur Conan Doyle and Sherlock Holmes created modern fandom, we first need to lay the foundation. Let's explore why the character has remained so popular for well over a century. My name is Zach Dundas. I'm the author of The Great Detective, uh, a book about the history of Sherlock Holmes and all of his many manifestations in our culture. It is very intriguing, and that's one thing that I tried to capture in the book, but it's it, it's almost so enigmatic in a way. It's hard to put into words. But I do think, I do think that the fact that Conan Doyle left a lot to the imagination has been key. You know, people who are into Sherlock Holmes spend a lot of time thinking about characters like Professor Moriarty or Irene Adler, and there are entire cycles of novels and movies and uh, all kinds of creative material out in the world about both of those characters. You know, there's a series of novels, at least one, about Irene Adler. Professor Moriarty gets reinvented every time a new Sherlock Holmes series or play or anything is created. A new Professor Moriarty is, is invented to be the supervillain. And when you go back to the Conan Doyle stories, you read about what, you read what he wrote about those characters, and there's hardly anything to it, really. I mean, Irene Adler is in one story for a few pages and has a few lines of dialogue, and yet she has become 
a huge part of the myth of the character. Likewise, Professor Moriarty kind of comes out of nowhere all of a sudden in one story where Conan Doyle frankly just wants to invent a reason to kill off Sherlock Holmes. Figures in a couple of others, but, but, but really only as a sort of secondary force. And yet, you can't really imagine the world of Sherlock Holmes without Professor Moriarty, and a lot has gone into imagining what Moriarty was all about, who he really was, who she really was. And, you know, the, the reinvention of the characters and the whole milieu and world is really encouraged by the fact that Conan Doyle left so much out there to be thought about, reconfigured, reimagined. And I think that the reason that the Cumberbatch series works and other series that have taken Holmes out of the Victorian era, like the Basil Rathbone movies, many of them were not set in the Victorian era. They were set in the 30s or 40s. The reason that they work is that those characters are all malleable enough that they can remain recognizably themselves. You can always pick Sherlock Holmes out of the crowd, no matter what time period you're portraying. And yet they can they can move. They can be transported in time. And yet, you know, they still carry some sort of essence of the Victorian era with them wherever they go. So it, it's 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 really it's really when you think about it, it's really a strange piece of work overall. And <laughs> and one thing that I got more and more intrigued by as I worked on the book is just how odd the whole thing is. Um, that this you know character from a you know a couple dozen detective stories written more than a century ago, for the most part, has had this incredibly vivid afterlife is really one of the things that I wanted to dig into the most. Who would have thought that vagueness could be considered a character's strength? Not me. But when we look at it through a modern lens, it makes complete sense. This enables us, the reader, to put our own spin on the fictional character. Sounds a little like fan fiction, which is a modern concept. But when Holmes was first published at the end of the 19th century, this was groundbreaking. But that's not all. As a friend of mine from college, Rachel O'Brien, points out, Holmes's supporting cast also played a role in his enduring popularity. I would definitely say that, for me at least, when I look at Sherlock Holmes, I, I appreciate that he is very much uh, the bohemian weirdo kind of aesthetic, where... It's okay to be a weirdo because you solve crimes and like that's super cool and you rely on your friend group to help you solve these crimes. He doesn't exist without Dr. Watson or, or Mrs. Hudson or all these other people. And I think it's bigger than just one single solitary character. The fact that he has spanned over 131 years is because he's able to keep reinventing himself like so much of the nerdy culture. Like Doctor Who wouldn't be Doctor Who if it wasn't constantly reinventing itself. And I see a lot of parallels between the two of them. Reinvention. That's the key word. We, the fan, are able to reinvent Holmes so that he and his world can reflect ours. This allows him to stay current and is another indication of how passionate fans are of the character. We bring the character with us. This has also led to the creation of something else that's truly unique. I'm Peter Blau, and I'm the secretary of the Baker Street Arrangers. Here, Peter discusses how the first fan club, the Baker Street Irregulars, was first started. Well, the Baker Street Irregulars are a bunch of people who uh, claim they are devoted 
to keeping the memory green, making sure that people remember who Sherlock Holmes uh, is. There's not a lot of work involved in that. But most of us enjoy playing a game, which we call uh, the grand game, and that's pretending that Sherlock Holmes lived and lives today. And uh, the stories, both of them, were actually written by Dr. Watson, and Arthur Conan Doyle was Dr. Watson's literary agent. So we always honor him with a capital L and a capital A and post him as a literary agent. But the Baker Street Register was founded in 1934 by a man named Christopher Morley, who was a writer and an editor at the Saturday Review of Literature. And he liked to found clubs. He had all sorts of weird clubs, including one called the Three Hours for Lunch Club, which meant whenever somebody interesting came by the Saturday Review of Literature offices, and Morley would invite his guests and a few people to get together for a, a long lunch. And back in 1934, of course, there was a lot of uh, drinking going on, even though it was prohibition. And Morley then formed a club, and this is a complicated name, it's in German, called the Grillparzer Zittenpolizei of Rhine, which is named in honor of the Austrian dramatist Franz Grill Parker, because on the way to a lunch in Kona, uh, uh, Morley happened to pick up a book, a biography of Grill Parcher, and the Zittenpolizei of Rhine means Morals Police Society, because what they were doing is drinking in speakeasies. But <laughs> Morley discovered that a lot of people in that club enjoyed the Sherlock Holmes stories. So they started quizzing each other, and in 1934, uh, Morley wrote in his column, Trade Winds, at the Saturday Review, um, that there ought to be a society called the Baker Street Irregulars. So he founded it, and for a long time it was his friends, but his friends kept inviting their friends, and eventually, uh, by the end of the 1930s, uh, there were so many people there, Morley didn't know, that he decided, no, there's too many people, let's stop. Uh, so it suddenly stopped for a couple of years, but had a very nice man named Edgar Smith, who was a vice president at General Motors, said, no, I'll do the work. So we started up again, and uh, we're still going strong. My full name is Donald J. Terrace, and I am master uh, of the Hounds of the Baskerville Sick. And these societies began to spread all over the world. Here in Chicago, we have the Hounds of the Baskerville Sick, which Donald oversees. Here, Donald makes an interesting point on how the serialized publication of Holmes and the creation of the fan societies really were the first steps in creating modern fandom. It, I think it really starts with um, pulp fiction. You know, the generation of a lot of uh, publications which really took place during the, the 1800s. You know, there were the, the stories about the Old West that were serialized, and, and uh, um, largely the term for it is pulp fiction, and it really began during the 1800s. And that's when people started following um, these characters, and, and it could be looked at as an early form of, uh, of uh, shared fandom, uh, which we call just today fandom. Uh, social media really helped uh, um, create the uh, 
the kind of or fueled the flames of uh, of this shared fandom today. But it wasn't so much Sherlock Holmes to begin with. The the character and Doyle is very clear on this. He, he was influenced very much by uh, by the character of C. Auguste Dupin um, that was penned by uh, by uh, Edgar Allan Poe and. Um, Doyle took off on that, and and Sherlock Holmes really um, is partly Dupin. It's mostly Conan Doyle, but but Conan Doyle really took off with the character and the idea. And without Sherlock Holmes, we wouldn't have the uh, the great characters uh, of Nick Charles, um, Sam Spade, Charlie Chan, Philip Marlowe. Uh, Spencer or TV shows certainly like CSI or House, and you know there are almost too many to mention. So the impact of Holmes um, has really been tremendous, and the impact of uh, Holmes, I should say, through Arthur Conan Doyle has really been tremendous. As far as, as far as Holmes' character being popular, I think people resonate with somebody who who says what he thinks and has a great conviction in what he knows. Um, we're living in a time period today where people see an awful lot, but they don't observe. And the difference being that when you observe something, you have the time to absorb and understand what you're seeing. People today are so move so quickly through time, through the day, through their lives, that they very rarely are able to really take a good look and understand the intricacies of, uh, of life. And certainly with Holmes, it's put in context with, uh, with mystery. Um, so I think that has a good deal with, uh, with why people are, are taken with his character. Zach agrees with this overall point, but adds another interesting perspective on Conan Doyle's impact on literature. Well, it's interesting. It's not anything he planned. (laughs) 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 Uh, You know, he was really a phenomenal writer, and a lot of what he wrote is very good outside of the Sherlock Holmes stories. Uh, But he's also incredibly prolific. I mean, he turned out book after book after book story after story, and some of it's not so wonderful. His overall output, pretty mixed bag. It's huge, vast volume of writing in every genre you can imagine. I think that his legacy, as it has come down, you know, almost a century after his death, is that he was the originator of this great collaborative project that we know as Sherlock Holmes, and in some ways showed the way to create a character that's both indelible and also endlessly reinventable. And that's, you know, when you think about it, there are a lot of authors and other creators trying to do exactly the same thing now all the time. Uh, He launched the first franchise in a way. He didn't really mean to, but he did. (laughs) So, so, and if you think about how important that concept is to culture as it stands now, uh, when everything is attempting to become a franchise. That's a pretty remarkable legacy. It seems too obvious, but it's true. 
These characteristics that we've explored are what make Sherlock Holmes the first modern franchise in the same vein as Marvel Comics, Star Trek, and Doctor Who. These franchises have the ability to connect with a large group of people. Jessica Nemec, a fellow Sherlockian and friend of mine, shares her view on Holmes's overall impact. Well, I, I think that the Sherlock Holmes fandom, just because of the fact that it's had so many iterations, it's been multi-generational, and the fact that there is a version of the story that can bring in almost any person. Um, I think that that's really helped with getting the idea of that something can have a, a literary basis, but be able to transcend like that media where it's like, yeah, it may have been a book, but it can also still be a movie, a TV show, a graphic novel. It's something that it doesn't matter how you engage with it, it's engaging. So I feel like that's really kind of also set the tone for like for like the Marvel Cinematic Universe where it was, you know, we were getting like little 15 page books every week that now it's these three hour movies that is just bringing everybody in. People that would have never gone to a comic book shop now know these stories. And I personally am like, I don't, I don't generally care how you come to the stories as long as it's you engage with it so i feel like that's sherlock holmes has pretty much given the like a blueprint for how to have longevity in that way we've explored the evidence and i hope you've reached the same conclusion that i have the sherlock holmes franchise is the first example of modern fandom but there's one final piece of the puzzle that we still need to explore sherlock holmes's creator Sir Arthur Conan Doyle did all of this on accident. Here again, Zach Dundas. I absolutely do, but what is interesting about it, from my point of view, is that in contrast to the Marvel Universe or the DC Universe or a lot of um, pop cultural continuums that we now know, Doctor Who or you know any of the... I mean, pick a pick a major franchise character, Star Trek, anything like that. The Sherlock Holmes stories were became what they became almost by accident. I mean, Conan Doyle didn't really intend any of that, uh, and his whole way of writing the stories was actually somewhat chaotic, not very well planned, honestly. And the stories are riddled with continuity errors. You know, just the fact that. He never brought Professor Moriarty or any of the other very memorable secondary characters back for another round. You know, I mean, Batman and the Joker fight kind of perpetually, right? Yeah. Like, there's all the Joker's always coming back around, and characters characters can die and come back to life. I mean, you know, they that sort of fictional universe is the creation of a very calculated business plan in some ways, um, which is not, a, which is not, by the way, a criticism. I think that that's, you know, completely a valid form of culture at this point. But Conan Doyle wasn't doing that. I mean, he, he sort of created this prototype almost by accident that is exactly what you described. It is sort of the first connected superhero universe, but he didn't do the connections very well. So it's kind of left for, to, to everybody else to figure it out. And figured it out we have. 
The world of Sherlock Holmes is alive and well, well into the 21st century. In fact, it's safe to say that it's more popular than ever. From books to radio dramas, film and television, there isn't a medium Sherlock Holmes hasn't conquered. I hope you've enjoyed our little journey into the world of the greatest fictional detective of all time, Sherlock Holmes. I'm Peter Creighton, and thanks for listening to The Looking Glass. The Looking Glass was created by Steven Anderson and Peter Creighton. How Sherlock Holmes Created Modern Fandom was written, narrated, and produced by me, Peter Creighton. Sound effects and music were provided by SoundSnap.com. I would like to thank everyone who participated in the making of this episode. Rachel O'Brien, Jessica Nemec, Zach Dundas, whose book, The Great Detective, The Amazing Rise and Immortal Life of Sherlock Holmes, is available now. Donald Terrace from The Hounds of the Baskerville Sick. You can visit The Hounds online at houndsofthebaskerville.org. And finally, Peter Blau from the Baker Street Irregulars. You can visit the Irregulars at bakerstreetirregulars.com. <laughs>